Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We, we go to a lot of different places for wisdom and for prudence and for understanding life. And there's a lot of phrases and sayings that really make up and shape our day and our character. Consider this Yiddish saying, words should be weighed, not counted. Or this Welsh wisdom, a spoon does not know the taste of soup, nor the learned fool the taste of wisdom. Or, I love this more eloquent uh, mic drop here, speak truth, but leave immediately afterwards. (laughs) Or, you have all types of wisdom that that help shape us and form us each and every single day. But then sometimes there's that wisdom where you're really not sure what it means. Like this uh, Japanese saying, a good husband is healthy and absent. Okay. Or from Portugal, a house without a dog or a cat is a house of a scoundrel. So you animal lovers, beware. Um, Or I found some things that just really don't make any sense whatsoever. And from time to time you hear things like, if you want to be heard, speak up. If you want to be seen, stand up. If you want to be appreciated, shut up. I'm not really sure who was the sayer of these things. So not everything that we hear is wisdom. So what is wisdom? Who defines wisdom? Some would say it's knowledge, intelligence, others common sense and discernment. And you see, when we go to different places for wisdom, we're going to find all different types of definition. The Hebrew word for wisdom is even more confusing. It's the Hebrew word kokmah, which means skill. But it also means created order and character. And so within this Hebrew word, there's three different definitions of what wisdom means. How many of us consider not only how you define wisdom, but where do you go to for wisdom? At what price or cost would we put on wisdom? At what point in our life do we need to gain wisdom? In the great words of Bob Seger, I wish I knew now what I didn't know then. Oftentimes we gain wisdom after the circumstances that we face in our life. And so this asks and begs the question, how much is wisdom worth in your life? It's amazing how much we spend on things that matter to us in life. Take, for example, our houses. Uh, They say that the average American spends roughly $1,600 on a mortgage, on power, on TV, and water, and Internet for their house. The same can be said about our cars. The average American has a $400 car payment. That doesn't even include the $600 then you put in gas and insurance each and every month. And then think about entertainment. Think about clothes. We put a price on things that matter to us. Think about even eating out. Uh, if you're an average person that spends 6 to $8 a day on lunch, you end up spending $30, $40 a week. That's $120 to $160 per month. That's $563 the average person spends on food per month in their house. So what is wisdom worth to you? Consider what value you place on things in your life. Some of the ancients describe wisdom as more precious than gold and jewels, more valuable than anything else in life. And so do you seek after that type of wisdom in your life? 
These are some of the writings that we find within scriptures and where we'll find ourselves today in the book of Proverbs as we continue this journey throughout the scriptures for the year. Jesus often talked about putting things of, of great price behind things. In fact, he told two really short parables, but they were very impactful parables. He says, one day a man came across a great treasure in a field. And he went back and he sold everything he had to buy the field and to gain that treasure. Jesus also tells a story about a pearl of great price. And he says, this man had so much value for this pearl, he sold all that he had so that he could obtain this pearl. Is wisdom worth that to you? You see, what we put our resources behind is what we desire in life. So take a look at the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 22. And we're not going to spend too much time there because we'll be weaving our way through some of the Psalms this morning as we continue our way throughout the scriptures this year. Now, this book is known as a book of wisdom. It's, it's, it's a collection of, of poems. It's a collection of Proverbs. It's a collection of sayings. Uh, but also, let's be honest, there's some weird things that are in the book of Proverbs. Uh, like, for example, Proverbs 27, 15 says, A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping of, of a rainy day. Okay? Or this, this prize, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Or, Go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider his ways and be wise. Or, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Or, this one. Better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. What I think we can understand from the Proverbs is he had some wife issues that he was working out in the Holy Scriptures. And I would never suggest that you compare your wife to a a pig with a golden snout and a ring in its snout. So there are some things within the book of Proverbs that should question, but one of the ones we'll look at this morning as we try to pick out something from this book to gain wisdom this morning comes from Proverbs 28:22. It says, the, stingier, the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware of the poverty that awaits them. Now, growing up, did any of you have a TV show that your parents said, off-limits, not allowed to watch? For me, it was The Simpsons. If my parents had only known that there was a show called South Park and Family Guy that were gazillion times worse than The Simpsons, they would not have allowed us to watch it. And what do you think I did when my parents said I wasn't supposed to watch it? I watched it. Yeah, of course. Like every good, obedient, and you know, rebellious child that I was, we watched it. And eventually, my parents caught on that it wasn't a horrific, devilish show that it was, and so we started watching it together. But there's a character on The Simpsons called Mr. Burns. Actually, his name is Charles Montgomery Burns. Yes, yes. And Burns is the richest man in town, right? He owns the power plant. But Burns is known as a man who takes advantage of his employees. He cuts their pay to to make a better profit for herself. When I hear the word stingy, as we heard in the Proverbs, I think of Charles Montgomery Burns. Yes, yes. When we hear the word stingy, for most of us, we consider that to be a label for someone else, right? I'm not stingy, right? We think about our boss, we think about our parents, we think about friends that never share anything with us. Probably the last person that comes to mind is ourselves. Because for most of us, we share our time, what we have, we we share our resources, 
Alan Pope uh, shares every tool he has with me. I think I borrowed his trailer now over the last five years like a gazillion times. So he's the antithesis of a stingy person. I'm sure for many of us, we think of everyone else except ourselves when it comes to the word stingy. And so, okay, yeah, we can turn off our brains for the next ten minutes, as Andy talks about stinginess. But maybe the ancients can give us some new wisdom in our life this morning. Jesus of Nazareth was the wisest person who ever lived. And the fascinating thing about Jesus is that Jesus tells us parables in, in stories, in simple things that we can understand, yet there's profound wisdom in there. And Jesus tells a story about a, a poor name, man named Lazarus, right? You know this story. Lazarus is so poor that he spends his day trying to find scraps of food in the trash to feed himself so he can survive. He doesn't even have time to consider the sores that are covering his entire body. It says that Jesus said that the dogs would come and lick his sores. That's how awful this man's life was. But Lazarus slept outside of the gate of a very rich man who lived extravagantly. He lived in abundance, Jesus said. And Jesus says in this parable that both men die on the same day, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus finds himself in eternal paradise. The rich man finds himself in eternal torment. And you see this dialogue exchange between the rich man and Abraham where he wants just a taste of, of water on his lips. And Abraham says it to him this way, it's not like that here. Here, Lazarus is consoled. You lived in abundance. Now he lives in abundance. And the word Jesus uses here is parasuo. It literally means you lived to exceed. You lived with leftovers. You lived with the overflows of life. So I want us to consider for just a second, while we might not be outwardly stingy people, consider how much abundance we live in each day. How much do we have compared to others? Of course, it's easy for us to always find someone who doesn't have as much of us. The stat is that that the rest of the world lives on less than $2 a day. But when we consider how much we have, how much are we really willing to part with of that excess, of that abundance? How much of our time... How much of our resources, how much of our strengths and giftedness, our sphere of influence, who we are as an individual, how much of that abundance are we willing to part with? And could it be that the the words of this ancient Proverbs writer maybe ring true in our ears that maybe there is a little bit of stinginess in our life? Proverbs says that, that stingy are eager to get rich and unaware of the poverty that awaits them. And see, this godly wisdom is intended not to bash us over the head, not to tell us we're horrible human beings, but to warn us, to let us see the downfall of stinginess in our life. And obviously, it's a juxtaposition here. Why? Because how could someone who is rich become impoverished? Was that like a bad investment they made? What he's trying to say is that you will find yourself lacking. You might have sufficiency, you might have abundance, you might have all of these things, but you still will be lacking. You see, when we pursue gaining for ourselves always in life, what we find is that we become the most self-centered, egotistical, prideful people 
And Jesus pricks at this a little bit when he says, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love one or hate the other. Remember what Jesus was talking about? He says, you'll either love money or love God. You can't love and serve the same. And maybe the writer of Proverbs, just maybe they're giving us something that's important for our life. It's all too easy for us to come in a place like this each week and hear the scriptures and immediately think of someone else who needs to hear this in their life. Or someone else this applies to. And never consider that maybe, just maybe, the scriptures can speak something to us deep down in our soul today. When I was a kid, I um, grew up in Alabama, and we lived on a 10-acre piece of property. And we had our house, but then everything else was all woods. And, of course, naturally, what does three boys want when you live in woods? We wanted a treehouse. And Dad wasn't just going to throw up a bunch of wood in the trees up above us. Dad was like, I'm going to make you the best treehouse I can. And Dad poured blood, sweat, and tears and resources into building this thing. It was awesome. There was even a back escape rope, like just in case the bad guys were coming up the front ladder. You had an escape route. You've always got to have an escape route, okay, just in case. Zombie apocalypse always clicking around here. But I'll never forget when Dad finished the treehouse and we got up in there and we're standing around enjoying it. I looked down and as a four-year-old boy, I looked down and see my father starting to climb up the ladder and I will never forget what I said to him. I screamed at him, no, you can't come up here. This is ours. We made this. And I wonder if we can consider for just a second that we gain and obtain so many possessions and so much in our life and we fail to recall that it is not us who gained these things. It is God who has given us the resources, who has given us that job, who has given us that opportunity, who has given us the talent and the gifts and the skills to be able to provide for our families, to get the things that we need in life. And Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25 puts it this way, an op- opposite perspective of the stinginess. He says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper whoever refers. Refreshes others will be refreshed. And verse 28 says this, Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Do you remember uh, these optical illusions from elementary school? we got a few of them up here. Um, is this an old lady or is this a young lady or is it both? Uh, this next one here, is that a vase? Not a vase, as I was told not to say. Or is that two candlesticks? Or is that two faces looking uh, at each other? Or this one, is this a, a duck or is that a rabbit? Or this annoying one from a couple years ago, is that a red and black, or a blue and black dress, or is that a gold and white dress? By the way, it is blue and black. There is no white and gold in that picture except on the sides. Drive you crazy. You see, when we see these images, they challenge us to reconsider that sometimes how we see things is not always as they appear. And that's what Christ is inviting us to do each and every day in our lives, is to consider that the way the world works, the way that we immerse ourselves within this culture, the way that the world says live with abundance, live with possessions, hoard for yourself, hoard your time, hoard your resources, hoard hoard your strengths, hoard all of who you are, hoard your time, Jesus actually calls us to think of things differently. 
That's called a paradigm shift. It's a challenge to see and to view things differently in our life. And so if you hear this proverb about stinginess in our life and immediately it begins to wax and wane within you, could it be that Christ is calling us to consider to look at things from a different perspective? It shouldn't be easy for us to be gracious and freely, generously giving our life because it's so easy to be stingy with who we are. It's uncomfortable. It's even foreign to us. And yet when we consider the worth of how much God continues to pour into our lives, how selfish is it us to always gain and keep for ourselves? As the great Albus Dumbledore once said, There will come a time when you must choose between what is right and what is easy. Stinginess is easy. Stinginess is extremely easy, but generous and generosity, that is something difficult in our life. There's an idiom that goes along with this theme of wisdom we've been talking about today, and it goes like this. Get your head out of the sand. You've heard this phrase before. It's this idea of an ostrich has its head stuck down in the sand. And the idea is that ostriches, when they're scared, stick their head down in the sand. In actuality, that's not a true fact at all. Ostriches put their head down in the sand because they bury their nest underground. And daily they are checking on the eggs that are in the nest. And so this whole phrase is actually a lie because we don't have ostriches sticking their heads down in the sand when they're scared. But the whole point of the saying is this. We oftentimes live our lives with our heads stuck down in the sand only seeing things from one particular perspective. And maybe, just maybe, the Proverbs is trying to challenge us this morning to consider, is there something different we need to be doing in our life? Instead of being people of stinginess, could it be that Christ is calling us to be a people of generosity? And I know many of you are sitting here thinking, go ahead and say it, Andy. We need to give 10% of our income to the church. I have gone through painstaking points, even in my sermon notes, to not mention giving or tithing once. Because I think in order for us to really, truly see what Christ is calling us to, to live a life of generosity, we're not talking about just a portion of our life that we give to the church. Christ is calling us to be a people of generosity, not just with the church, but within our entire life. And in fact, if we want to tackle that whole 10% issue, the whole 10% issue comes from the Old Testament in general. So the idea is that if you make $10,000 a year, you give $1,000 to the church. If you make $50,000 a year, that's $5,000 you give to the church. The math goes so on and so forth. So should we be a people of 10%? In fact, I think Christ calls us to something radically different. Phew, no more 10%, right? Actually, what Christ calls us to is abundant generosity. We considered that never once in our life, I don't know about you, have I prayed to God, God, today, will you just show me just just a fraction of forgiveness for this horrible thing that I said and did? Or God, today, will you maybe provide just a, just a tiny bit of mercy here? We've never once prayed to God that he would be stingy with what he gives us, what God gives us in our life. And so Christ is calling us to something more. Maybe not 10%, but maybe 40, 50%. But beyond this, we're not talking about giving to the church. What we're talking about is being a people of generosity. With the people we see each day. With our family, with our friends, with our neighbors. With the people who don't look like us. God is calling us to be a people of generosity. And I think what the wisdom of this proverb is trying to tell us is, is that generosity gives us life. 
Stinginess brings us death, they said, but generosity brings us life. The arch villain of stinginess is a life of generosity. If stinginess brings us foolishness and poverty, then generosity must bring us something new. Look back at what he said in, in Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25. It says, One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. I love this line. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. There's a recent study um, that was conducted on on people's financial health and uh, generosity. And and the study ultimately found that uh, people who are generous live healthier lives talking about just the generosity of giving to a charitable organization like a church or a nonprofit, but they talked about people who freely give of their time, of their energies, of their strengths, of their resources, of who they are as an individual, that ultimately they literally live healthier lives because stinginess consumes our heart and our mind and our soul. It lifts our spirits into something different when when God can begin to use us to be generous people. And so may we consider that literally and physically generosity gives us life. But what God is doing is is inviting us into seeing things differently when we become a people of generosity. The most well-known story in the world uh, is told by Jesus. And it went something like this. There was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he came under a band of robbers, they robbed him as if that wasn't bad enough. They stripped him naked and they beat him and left him for dead. There's nothing like getting robbed, but then getting beaten and left dead naked on the side of the road. That's pretty awkward. Okay, that's the Andy translation of that story, not necessarily the other part. And then we learn what happens next. What A priest comes along the way. He intentionally moves to the other side of the road so he doesn't have to help the man. A Levi comes, a Levi walks down the road, he sees the man, walks on the other side, and then Jesus throws the biggest thing in the most radical idea. He says, a Samaritan, a despised and second-class citizen, comes and sees this man. He sacrifices his resources to help this man. In fact, when he takes him to an end so that he can recover, he says, whatever this man needs, I will come back and pay you for it. You see, what we need to begin to realize, the wisdom that God pours in us through this proverb is this. Not only does generosity bring you life, but it brings life to others. When we are generous people, God uses us to bring life into other people. Jesus calls us to selflessness, to humility, to service. service. So consider for just a second how your generosity can bring life into others. I love how the writer of Proverbs puts that. It refreshes others, you will be refreshed. It paints the image that somehow that when we throw our money, when we throw our resources, when we throw our time and our strengths and our care and our character into other people, it will bring them life. And so we consider how much life God has poured into us. And in response, we selflessly pour into others. So consider your time. Consider your strengths, consider your assets, consider your resources, your sphere of influence, your passions, your personality, and how God can use that to bring life into others. I love this one poem that this author wrote, a Christmas gift suggestion. To your enemy, forgiveness. To your opponent, tolerance. To your friend, your heart. To a customer, service. To all, charity. To every child, a good example. To yourself, respect. 
only does God want to give us life through generosity, and not only does God want us to give life to others through our generosity, but I think God wants our generosity to bring life to the church. To the church. However, when I look beyond the, the, the offering plate idea that we get so consumed about of how we give to the church, I think Christ is calling us to something so much more. We live in one of the most challenging times in the church's history where many treat the church like a product of commodity. And frankly, I am tired of the consumerism of the church. It's exhausting, it's disheartening, and, and frankly, it is absolutely disgusting. The church was not designed to reflect our shopping habits, for us to look for the best programs and deals only to change our membership on the whim. The church was not designed to be a high school romance that lives on the emotional highs and conditional expectations only for us to break up with someone else when it gets real and tough. The church was not designed to be a a big box store that moves into town only looking for new members from other churches and sucking members away from existing churches. The church is not designed to be a one-sided relationship where we are paying the church for, for services and benefits. And may we remember that the church is the body of Christ. And when we can begin to put this theology into practice, it annihilates all selfishness, all self-centeredness, all egotistical relationships we have with the church. And when this theology is put into practice, the church can become a community of reconciliation, of, of selflessness, of service, compassion, of safety and belonging for all people as God designed it to be. So when we consider this whole idea of shopping churches, of going from church to church to church, may we consider that the church isn't a building, but it's a community of people that pour into your life, into your soul, that love on your children, that invest in who you are as an individual. If you want these things, then make it happen. When we consider leaving and going to other places, we need to consider our motives, our heart, and our soul. Make sure it's for the right reasons. If there's conflict within the church, we are called to resolve it. If there's hurt, we're called to mend it. If there's discord, we're called to bring unity. If there's selfishness, then we are called to pour on compassionate selflessness. If there is frustration, then we are called to communicate it, not keep it silent and let it boil over. If you want to be fed within the church, realize that's your responsibility too. You see, it's easy to walk away from a church community And if it's easy to do, consider that maybe you're not truly investing in that community or allowing others to invest in you. And so God calls us to be generous to the church with our lives, with our resources, with our strengths, with all we are, with our presence. Because who we are as individuals matter and make up who the church is. You matter to the church. Author Wendy Mass wrote a book called Jeremy Fink and the Meaning of Life. I don't know if you've ever read it before. And there's this beautiful exchange between a son and his father, and it goes like this. A fight is going on inside of me, said the old man to his son. It's a terrible fight between two wolves. One wolf that is evil, he's angry, envious, sorrowful, regretful, greedy, arrogant, self, full of self-pity, guilty, resentful, inferiority, a feeling of inferiority to other. He lies, he's full of false prize and ego. The other wolf is, is good. 
He is joy, peace, love, hope, sincerity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generous, truth, compassionate, and faith. The same fight is going on inside of you, son. And the son thought for just a moment and asked, Which wolf will win? And the old man replied, The one you feed. May we live wise lives. May we consider that Christ is calling us to be generous. Let's pray together. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.